Yeah, no, it's all good. I think it's on your hoodie. It's still on your hoodie. I just lost my... uh, my No, no, it's on your hoodie. You see it? No, no, it's on your actual Uh, hoodie. There it is. Boom. That's the voice of Long Island legend Jay Hernandez, and I'm Chris Weidman, and this is Won't Back Down, presented by BioAccelerator. Jay Hernandez is the assistant coach for the Charlotte Hornets. He's the uh, VP of player development. He is a huge MMA fan. He is uh, from Long Island, New York. was an unbelievable basketball player uh, who played all over Suffolk County and then finished up in college at Hofstra University, my alma mater, and then uh, went to Puerto Rico to try to play professional for a little bit. He's an awesome guy with a great mindset, very inspirational story, and uh, I'm excited for you guys to hear him. Uh, That's all coming up in a moment, but before we begin, I want to tell you about Won't Back Down's presenting sponsor, BioAccelerator. BioAccelerator is the world leader in stem cell therapy and regenerative medical research. Through the use of their powerful golden stem cells, they help patients heal from joint and orthopedic injuries, autoimmune disorders, spine and disc damage, and neurological trauma. I went down to Medellin, Columbia, and I got my stem cells. It was uh, it really was such a great experience. Thanks again to BioAccelerator for sponsoring Won't Back Down. And without further ado, here's my conversation with Jay Hernandez, which is also available on the Chris Weidman YouTube channel. You're the coach of like, player development, right? That would be that's. Your- yeah, so I'm assistant coach for the team, and and I run I run all of the player development for our program. So okay, gotcha. Um, you know, so I've been fortunate to kind of see everything from from a different lens all these years. Uh, you know, in Orlando, I was with three different coaching staffs uh, that got a real introduction to the NBA, and we can get into that in a second. And you know, now even being with Charlotte, my role has changed a lot. Even in the time that I've been here last year, coaching in the G League in the bubble format when that happened. Uh, and then this year we, we were doing an offensive and de- defensive side, like football. Uh, so I'm on the offensive side. Um, I'm helping with the ATOs, which is all the after timeout plays. Uh, so organizing our, what are our mismatches? How are they guarding us? Uh, this might be a play that's going to work coming out of a timeout situation and, um, putting our guys in those situations. So, uh, it's been fun you know, kind of scouting games, you know, still developing, you know, the players that we have and, you know, uh, each coach is designated a certain amount of players that they're responsible for, you know, watching film with, going on court with mm-hmm. and, so, and such. And then so that, and that's one of your major responsibilities is having yeah. those timeout plays ready to go. And, yeah. But but it, it's kind of like fluid, though, right? Because you have to see what's going on in that game specifically, but also you have to know the history of what they usually would do in a prior yeah. game, right? How, how they're yeah, I watch games. Um leading up to it. So I'll see how they guard certain actions, you know, and pick and rolls. They're guarding off ball, um, how they're matched up at that point in time, you know, what their first unit does compared to their second unit. Sometimes there's specials where they're running zone, you know, to start a quarter. So it's like, all right, we might have a man-to-man play and they're running a zone. And so gotcha. that can mess up your team. So being on point with, hey, we we have to know kind of what they're going to go to at this point in time, you know, and I'm sure it's similar round by round for you, you know, understanding, Hey, this guy's a slow starter and, uh, you know, second round, he's looking to to do this or that. He's going to try to take you down here. He's, you know, he's going to throw more leg kicks, whatever the case may be. It's, it's similar in basketball. Mm. Sorry. Yeah, no, it's all good. I think it's on your hoodie. It's still on your hoodie. I just lost my, uh, my no, no, it's on your hoodie. You see it? No, no, it's on your actual. Uh, hoodie. There, there it is. Boom. 
You don't even have cauliflower ear, and those things have fallen out of you. Uh, Listen, I, I tell you, and, and and I can't hear out of the right side either. So that's another tidbit of information. I, really? I grew up with uh, with a tumor in my right ear that that basically uh, crushed all the inner bones in my ear. So every every year, I'd have major operation to try to clear out the tumor, and then next year would be a follow up to try to restore the hearing. So I, I would be playing games at Hofstra sometimes with an ear infection and completely playing the whole game dizzy, you know, like it was like vertigo, you know, just uh, because I'd have like stuff going on on that side. Yeah. So if I lost, if I lose this earpiece again, I'm going to be in trouble. <laughs> That's crazy. But, so wait, yeah. when did you first have a, a tumor? Uh, it started when I was young, probably around seven or eight years old, you know, probably had about 10 major operations. Um, and like I said, I would always do that postseason to try to get, get it going, you know? So even my time's, you know, playing at St. Dominic, I remember, you know, after a big playoff game, you know, that finishes up, go go have surgery, you know, be out for about a month. There was always a three-month recovery because you couldn't get hit in that ear uh, with the, you know, the bone grass and stuff that they would try to do. So it got to a point as I got older, I was like, I don't, I just don't want it to be painful anymore. And if I can't hear, I'll figure it out. You know, there's, there's some benefits to not being able to hear on that side, you know, but uh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Depends you know, on that side, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, is there a uh, is there like it was it ever cancerous or was it just something that was a growth that just it was an aggressive finished? tumor that uh, they said you know basically could go into the face and you know could have gotten to the point where it would have numbed you know one side of my face if they didn't catch it soon enough. But it was an aggressive tumor, you know, um, never cancerous, thank God. Um, but it was every two or three months going in to try to clean it out. And, you know, the things that I would have to go through at that point in time were, were pretty intense. Damn. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And surgeries you've had. Is that, uh, is that yeah. Uh, just on that. Yeah. On that, on that year itself. So Damn, not including like the in office type stuff that they were doing. Yeah. Where, where are you from Long Island? I know you so went I, to St. Dom's, but yeah, I, I, all over Long Island. Like I basically, I was in Suffolk County for a long time. Um, early on, it was like Oakdale, and then we moved to Puerto Rico with my father. He played 13 years professionally in Puerto Rico. was on the national team there. Oh, man. But from about two to seven, I, I was there in Puerto Rico, came back. Uh, we were like in Lake Ronkonkoma, Holbrook. Uh, I was in Quorum, uh, so Longwood School District, which is a pretty good wrestling program. I was, yeah. I was a wrestler early on. Yeah. We'll talk about that. Kerry McC McCoy was over there. Yeah. I mean, he's a little older than you, I think, right? Yeah, they, they had some beasts out there, though, yeah. back in, you know, like the early 90s or whatever, the, the, the varsity. They, they had some major yeah. All-Americans and stuff. and. Uh, so I went from there to Bayport, Long Island, um, and then I was commuting from Bayport at least an hour each way, driving to St. Dominic and Oyster Bay um, because the school was didn't pass their budget. So I was going to have to pay to play basketball. And, you know, I was like, all right, St. Dom's at that time had some pretty good basketball. And I knew we were going to play a lot of the inner city teams and I'd have a better chance of getting a scholarship, you know, by doing that. So uh, yeah. I did that. And then we moved to Oyster Bay my senior year. So I've been all over the place. And Jeez. Then, as an adult, uh, Glen Cove, Seacliff, Glen Cove were were my uh, my areas as I as I grew older. Gotcha, that's crazy. If you're from yeah. Long Island, you're following. Uh, if you're not, just it just means he moved all over the damn place. <laughs> yeah, <it> was <laughs> everywhere. That, why so, were you moving so much? Oh man, uh, not sure. You know, I, yeah, it was uh, it was like every three years. It was just like you know, um, we just find found a new location. My mother was originally from Bayport. Um, so we, we had been there since, uh, I guess seventh grade all the way till like 11th grade. And then by the time they decided to move again towards the Bay, that was more for my sister because she was going to go to St. Dominic after me. She was a few years younger than me and they didn't want to have to keep dealing with that commute. But, uh, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that was it. Um, so your dad was a professional basketball player. Um, at what point did you start, you know, really getting into basketball? I started young. Yeah. I was, I was playing from 
little, little kid, you know, I was involved in playing a lot of sports, um, you know, at, the, at you know, middle school level and all that stuff, you can do a lot of, a lot of different sports and get involved. But uh, basketball was always like my primary, you know, so I can remember cool thing, you know, especially, you know, with your kids being able to watch you, you know, fight now, like I remember him playing, um, you know, I, I was, I think like eight years old, he went back when, when we were still living in Long Island, played one more season. I can remember going back and, and watching those games and seeing him compete. Uh, just a tough nosed guy, you know, from Canarsie, Brooklyn, um, you know, just didn't take anything from anybody. And, you know, he kind of made a career just being that tough point guard that can, that can rally the troops. And uh, so I just, yeah, I've always had the ball in my hands, um, you know, and everything else that I did, I felt like was helpful for me for basketball, you know? So gotcha. if I ever did anything else, if I played tennis, I felt like, you know, the, the movements in tennis sliding, there's not many sports where you actually slide like you do on the basketball court. And that's one of the sports where you do that. Right. And so, um, you know, even just like the, um, you know, football early on wrestle, you know, wrestled in, in Longwood wrestling at fifth grade, sixth grade. I mean, they're taking it super serious. So I remember getting my head, you know, on a crank and, you know, all that stuff early <laughs> on, but I, I loved it. I mean, I yeah. just, from a young age, um, you know, it was always like a big part of, you know, the way I, I trained myself was more from a fighter's mentality. Like even when I was in layup lines, I always bounced around like, like, like a boxer, you know, like yeah. it was almost like a, like a little, little rhythm to everything that I was trying to do. And so, um, you know, as I got older, it was just really cool for me to kind of incorporate some of that stuff with what I was doing, um, you know, to prepare for, you know, a season, you know, and uh, not have to run around on the court up and down being, I was staying in the area and work more on my reflexes and some of my cardio and footwork that way. Um, and then I started incorporating it as well with the players that I worked with. Was it, was it the wrestling that you feel like gave you that, that work ethic? Was it, was it coming from that or where, where do you think you got that work ethic from where, you know, you're bouncing on the court and like, you know, and, uh, trying to outwork it. Yeah. I, I think it was my dad, like me, me, my father, we used to, you know, he was, he was, uh, he was a, he was a natural born fighter. Like he was just a guy that, um, you know, one of those things that I can remember was him, uh, knocking out like a golden gloves boxer, you know, who pushed him in the back there in Puerto Rico. And, and in, in Puerto Rico, it was like guys were finding you in, in the locker room if they didn't like what you had to say. And people were throwing <laughs> hangers and ice chips at you and all kinds of stuff. If, if you were on the road, it was just, and it was cool because it was like indoor outdoor environments. You play in an 18,000 seat arena. And then the next night you'd be playing in an indoor outdoor facility that's, that's at like 5,000 people and they had bands in the stands and, you know, they're serving all kinds of alcohol and drinks to everybody and they're going yeah. crazy. So, um, so I think a lot of that came from him and his mentality. Um, and, you know, definitely like when I got into wrestling, I, I, I love the individual aspect of it, like being able to go out there and compete one-on-one, -on -one, but then having that be towards the total for your team in terms of points and, and being, you know, having that camaraderie with the team, but knowing that, Hey, this is my turn to step up. Um, and I just, I don't know. I always grew up watching, you know, like vision quest and, you know, blood sport yeah. and, you know, all those, the Kumites and all that stuff, and, oh, yeah. you know, all the Rockies, like last night, Rocky three and four came on and it was like, I had to watch, I have work to do, but I, I had to sit there and watch both of them. Right. Like a dummy, yeah. you know, just yep. sit there, I've yep. seen it a million times, but, um, so I, you know, a lot of that was, you know, from that, I never got into, you know, like the, the UFC for me, um, it got popular, like my freshman year in college, I was, I was pulling the VHSs and watching all those, you mm -hmm. know, with, with my friends and just loving, loving that. And then at the time, I don't know if it was there when you were coming up at the empire state games, um, oh, yeah. where you yep. got to compete. Um, yep. I, I just love going to watch the golden gloves kind of guys and going to watch the wrestlers, you know, it's just something about seeing those guys compete, you know, cause to me, 
there's no faking that, right? Like mm-hmm. I always say, like the in, in the fight is the truth, and and yeah. you know if guys actually put in put in the work or not. And um, there's no time to actually like relax necessarily, you know, in, in a fight. You're always on edge, and so I try to explain that to people all the time. It's like, you know, on the court, you you have moments where you're just kind of hanging out and you know just waiting for your turn. Baseball, you know, football, all these things. But mm-hmm. when you're in there by yourself, you're constantly your brain is always engaged, you know. And it's, it's there's a reason why guys get gassed, right? Within a few minutes, and you're like. This guy do any cardio leading up to this fight, but it's not yeah. always the case. It's just you know their their adrenaline's pumping, they get that dump, and it's like shit. I wasn't expecting this from this guy, and then all of a sudden, yeah. you know, see guys tank. So you know, I, you, I just it, I can appreciate it. It makes me think of the uh, the Nunez Pena fight. Did you see that fight? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched it. And I what my interpretation of that fight and what went down was that Pena went in there expecting a war, willing to die in there, you know, right. willing to just go through hell to find a way to win. And uh, Nunez, I think, went in there thinking she she wants to run through this girl, embarrass yeah. her, put her in her place. And then all of a sudden, there was a moment in there where this girl's not going away. Wow, I'm yeah. not going to do what I expected to do. And now you're in a freaking war. And you did not really expect this, but this is exactly what Penna was expecting. Right. And right. I think that's what went down. Like the cardio goes away. It does. It's all mental, man. It, it's yeah. it really. I mean, she probably trained her butt off, but she gasped. But it was because of her expectations, just not going the way she expected. You know what I mean? And right. then she, she kind of gave up. You know, she just couldn't. She couldn't. She wasn't going to be able to handle what Penna was willing to give at that right. point, right. which is crazy. And it. And it, I think it crosses over to everything. Yeah, no, I agree. It's it's uh, the ability to adapt. You know, is huge, right? If if, if those things happen, you know, and, and being prepared for all those different, you know, hardest case scenarios, right? Just knowing, all right, if, if I'm cracking this person as hard as I can for three straight rounds, that they're still there, you know, what? How do I adapt to that? You know, especially yeah. if if I'm struggling, you know, if I'm getting if I'm getting beat up or whatever. And the same thing on the court for us. It's just constantly trying to figure out, okay, they're, they're, they're killing us in this way. You know, how do we evaluate that? Like we have iPads on the sideline, so almost instantaneously we can watch a clip and then be able to show that guy the clip when he comes out of the game and say, Hey, you know, this is what's happening. This is why you're getting, you know, cut back door or, mm-hmm. you know, when, when, when these scenarios, you need to help, you know, guard against, you know, this guy going at the rim and then we'll, we'll X out from there, all the different terminology that comes from it. But, you know, it's that, that feedback now that we're getting, you know, getting, giving these guys and, and having, having them know exactly what we're looking for and how we make those adjustments on the fly. Because if you don't make that adjustment, they'll just keep picking apart all game long. Were you this like uh, were you this technically minded as far as basketball goes when you were actually playing the sport, uh, or did this come when you when you start coaching? Yeah. I think uh, I've always been a creative, like in terms of the way player development is, is a, a fairly new term. Um, when I started training, probably back in 1998, I was still in college. I still started training kids, um, and people didn't know what player development was. They were like, "What do you mean?" It, it was just called training, and like, "Why would I pay you to train? I'm already nice." You know, that was like the mentality. Like, I'm already yeah, nice. Yeah, like, why would yeah, I pay yeah. you to, you know, you know, basketball players, they, they got a little bit of swag to them, right? So, yeah. well, so there's um, some of the best athletes, you know, not to cut you yeah. off, but I, I just always think like you could kind of see who is a natural athlete. The cool thing about fighting and wrestling is that you could be a complete spazoid in almost everything. Yeah. If you work hard enough, you could figure out a way to win in, 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 in those, in those sports. Right. But I don't think the same thing holds true for basketball. I don't think you could be a complete klutz. Right. And figure out a way to be good in basketball. I feel like it's way harder to do yeah, that. I, do you agree with me? I agree. On that? I do. Yeah, I agree yeah. with you. You know, and that's uh that's a good point. Cause I think it's 
the game, the speed of the game, right? And you're also thinking it from an offensive and defensive standpoint. And and you know, and in some sports, you don't get that, right? It's it's kind of like it's one or the other, and it, you take your time with it, right? It's like you yeah. baseball, you take your time. You're, you're now we're uh, you know we're going to play defense now, and the same thing with football. And most guys, you know, they're not playing both sides of the ball. Basketball is just so fluid, and you're trying to figure this stuff out on the fly. And um, yeah, for me, I wasn't I wasn't ever the best athlete, and so you really I was think cool. that. Yeah, you I say, do. even I, in high school, you don't think you don't think it just kind of came more natural to you? Uh, no, I, I was coordinated and, and I worked my butt off like skill wise. I felt like, again, other stuff that I did, I, I really, you know, I learned how to dance early, um, you know, just like freestyle, nothing crazy. Um, I, I played the drums. I felt like that helped me with my rhythm. Like there were certain things that I felt like helped me a little bit, but I never, I could never dunk. I'd never dunked in a basketball game. And that was a big thing for to be a division one basketball player. They're like, can you dunk? And, you know, that was one of the questions they would ask my coach. Like, just watch him play. You know, were like, you trying, were you trying to dunk? Were you, I like, was, did you I put was a trying, strong yeah. effort in like day in, day out, wear those shoes? Like, you know, I did wear the jump soles. Yes, yeah. I wore the jump soles, the platform shoes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I tried all that. I think it helped me more with my agility and quickness than it did my jumping ability. And strength and conditioning wasn't that big then. There wasn't guys like me that were helping players in, in these those areas to get better, whether it was skill-wise or through strength and conditioning. So for me, it was just like, I just got to work my butt off. I, I was the cardio king. I could pick you up full court and pressure you all game long and never get tired. And that was like, again, just wear these guys down. And I felt like by the end of the game, I was going to be – the same and you were going to drop. And at that point in time, That's I was awesome. going to take over. And so it was the same thing when I got to, to Hofstra, I played for Jay Wright, who was a hall of fame coach. Yeah, uh, We had all hall of fame coaches there period i mean from, and he went you know, to do he went to do like some big things at villanova right uh, oh yeah won two national titles i mean same thing with the wrestling coach right you know it was tom now, ryan yeah tom ryan uh, danowski all these guys mm-hmm. that were there they were all yeah. hall of fame coaches from volleyball to softball so uh when i got there though speedy claxton was like the best thing that happened to me from a standpoint of just figuring stuff out when you know when you say iron sharpens iron you know they're like all right jay you're a transfer and i went to university of new hampshire for a year played in the same conference transferred back i had a whole year to sit out so now i'm just going to class i'm sitting out and i'm playing against speedy every day and you know i start figuring out just different techniques of like how do i get my shot off against this guy because every time i I tried to lift he was just swiping it from me so then i realized i have to change my line so instead of bringing the ball straight up like you normally would i had to now come over the top of the hand so if the hand was waiting at my waist level, I had to figure out ways to get it here without going straight up the line like you were taught wow. as a kid. Wow. And so all these different techniques started to come just from playing that way. And then I started teaching it. And my favorite, one of my favorite quotes is, when you teach, you learn twice. And when I started teaching things, I'm like, okay. And I started seeing kids do stuff that was maybe by accident that I started incorporating into some of the drill work and you know things like that. So over the course of time, I got super creative with what I was doing and and. You know, I felt like I had to be, long story short, I felt like I had to be smarter because I wasn't the athlete. You know, I looked at some of the guys that I played with, like, man, I wish I had his athleticism. You know, I could yeah. just come into this game and not worry about a thing. Yeah. Uh, and I was the opposite. I had to like over-prepare for things. And then that's helped me, you know, down the line for sure. In in a basketball game, is it is it, does it get to the point where it's basically, um, it comes out to toughness, like just mentally trying to break this guy? Like when they see that you're still not tired, and you could see them starting to get tired. Is that is that a real thing that happens uh, in a game? It is. You know, it's all it's all the you know, psychology behind stuff. Especially if there's a certain matchup or a guy you've hit a few shots on, and you see their body language just slump, like or start shaking their head. You know, you have them right. And mm-hmm. it's, there's this a semblance of style style of play. Like right now, I think we're second in offensive um, 
uh, you know, on the offensive side of the ball in the league. And so for us, it's style of play. We want to get the ball out as quick as possible and we can miss five straight shots in a row. You can make five straight shots in a row, but you're going to have to come back and defend right away. Like there's, there's, there's no hesitation. And so we have a young group. We have, uh, you know, some shooting on the perimeter and we just put pressure on teams that you know have to defend, whether it's a make or a miss. And that's part of it, you know, so by the first quarter, second quarter, great. They're still there. Third quarter, they're still there. Maybe by the fourth quarter, you're able to break them. Yeah. Do you, does the uh, name Darius Burden ring a bell? That's my guy, Debo. Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Baldwin <laughs> Great. That guy, Baldwin, baby. Baldwin legend. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, he's one of the guys that I looked up to when I was coming up, you know, because he, people don't realize he was an All-American soccer player. Yeah. Uh, parade All-American, which was huge at that time. And opted to go to Hofstra to play basketball and then was so talented as a soccer player and athlete that they gave him a scholarship for his fifth year to play soccer. Um, and so I remember coming up the pipeline and figuring like, if I can bring up the ball against this, this guy, I'm okay. You know, and same thing with speedy. There's certain guys that you realize when you start coming up and you're like, man, cause he was a few years older. And so mm-hmm. even my freshman year in New Hampshire, he was there as a senior and speedy was a freshman and me being a New Yorker and playing pickup with all those guys in the summertime, I kind of knew what was happening at Hofstra. They were starting to, to tick up with the talent that they had and the toughness and, you know, that was one of the main reasons why I wanted to come back and, and play with them because I was like, I want to be a part of that. I know they're going to be special in a few years. And uh, yeah. yeah, Darius was was one of those guys. Like I said, I just always enjoyed watching play and, and playing against them was was an honor for sure. Yeah, I followed I followed St. Dom's. So my cousin played for Lujai. Uh, but okay. he, is, he was a freshman, I think, maybe when you just finished. Uh, Sorensen, Je- Jesse and yeah. John Sorensen. Yeah. They were Baldwin guys. One, my one cousin played for Baldwin High and then played for Springfield College. And then my other cousin Jesse, the one uh, who I was just talking about, he he played um, played at Luhai and then went to Adelphi. Okay. And I guess their first, so his first freshman year at Adelphi, they won the national championships. I don't know. If, did you follow? I know it's Division Two, so I don't know if you were following that. But they always, I guess, were yeah. wondering because they were really good how they would have done against Hofstra right. at that time. How good were you guys your senior year? We were really good. Yeah, I really? mean. Uh, and yeah, like, yeah, we were really good. And I know Adelphi was really good because even uh, Steve Clifford, who coached at Adelphi, he's been a head coach in the NBA for years. Um, he's a guy that I stayed in contact with who would come to Hofstra practices. And yeah, I, I, used to, I used to really follow those guys. And I played against a lot of those guys in the summertime. We always played against those guys. So I knew exactly who they were and how good they were. Um, and they were talented. I think they give anybody a problem. Um, but we were, we were really good. <laughs> you know, at yeah. the end of the day, we had, we had pros like NBA guys and, and we played just as hard as, you know, what you would think like a uh, national ranked or national, you know, national championship type team, you know, that, that, that they can win that level. You have to be a hard, tough playing team. And, you know, us winning the championship that year and giving UCLA, we played UCLA my, my fifth year, um, and gave them fits and they had, you know, four legit NBA players that, that played a long time in the NBA, including Matt Barnes, mm. um, you know, Earl Watson and a, and a few other guys. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't doubt that they, that would have been a game, but, uh, I'm taking us all day. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's, let's fast forward. You, you graduate college, you had a great college career. Uh, what was the goal for you right, right out of college? I was, I was seriously thinking, you know, um, get a job. I mean, in my mind, I knew I was good enough to play. Um, but I had I married my high school sweetheart. I had, uh, had a child already. And in my mind, I'm like, you know what? I have a dual MBA from Hofstra. I was a marketing and management. I got that in my fifth year. So I was taking like 18 credits. Damn. A semester. So even, uh, so in college you were, 
you weren't solely focused on like I'm going to the NBA. Was no. was that kind of not that wasn't the the main cards that you were looking at? You my main focused. thing was just yeah, like I was just kind of going with the flow at that time. My my brain was like I was focused on the team. Like I, we have to win. You know, we lost Speedy, um, and and that was his senior year, and he went to the NBA as a lottery pick. So now it's like all right, now what do you guys have? You know, you just lost a lottery pick. Are you guys for real? Yeah. And Jay Wright could have taken a job to go to Rutgers for a lot of money and decides like, no, I have seven seniors coming back and I think we're going to be pretty good. And I want to show everybody that we can, we can do this again without a lottery pick. And, um, you know, we went out there and we, we, we dominated, you know, we ended up playing, you know, some, some great teams and, um, you know, finally beat St. John's for the first time at Nassau Coliseum, which was That's phenomenal. Crazy. Um, that is, that must've been insane. Yeah. So we, we did some, some pretty cool things. And like I said, for me, uh, I was burning the candle, man. I was, you know, like I said, married, trying to make money, trying to make cash on the side because they were they're trying to limit um, athletes from making money. But you know, had a child, and you know, uh, wait, you had I a child that in at college? Yes, while Damn. yeah, while I was there. So like, it was it was a the culmination. Yeah, it was a culmination of all that. And you know, from being a Division One athlete and trying to oh. perform at the highest level. Uh, so I was part of it was I was making money training. That's how the training thing started for me. Uh, when I started gotcha. my own business was I started yeah. at Island garden at West Hempstead and I was training kids on the side and doing that on weekends. And whenever I could, um, I was loading trucks for my father in Queens, you know, just trying to make some extra cash in the winter time. And then, uh, you know, we go ahead and play at Madison square garden, you know, the next night yeah. and, and go hoop and stuff. That's so it crazy. was, it was, it was intense, but, um, I ended up while I was going for my MBA, I was playing in Puerto Rico. Um, so I was doing that. I started starting point guard for one of the teams there and helped them make it, make the playoffs for the first time in a long time. And it was, it was a great experience. And then I came back and I said, um, you know what, I'm going to just start working. I started working at, uh, for admissions, um, at Hofstra. They gave me a pretty good job, good paying job for like nine months. I was doing that. Uh, then I got into pharmaceutical sales for two years with a Johnson and Johnson company. Mm. And I was working, like I said, I was doing the training thing more than I was actually working that full-time job of pharmaceutical sales. And then I got to a point where I just asked Allison, I said, listen, I, I can't see myself doing this for the rest of my life. Um, I was still in shape. So I, I said, you know what? Uh, I'm going to go to Puerto Rico one more season. When I come back, I've got camps and clinics set up and let's give it six months to see if I can make it work. Cause there was no training businesses at that time in New York, you know? And I was like, I'm going to build this thing like everybody else. If somebody has a pitching coach or, you know, they, they, they work with a, with, with mitts, with a boxing trainer or whatever, they're, they're going to understand this concept at some point and I'm gonna make it happen. There was no barriers to entry and we went for it. And, uh, but when you were going to Puerto Rico, was it to, what was the goal in Puerto Rico? The, the goal for me was just to go there and play and make money. I mean, it, gotcha. it was just like, I love basketball. Like I, you know, I, I missed it, you know, and was they, there they money though? Was there money in, in Puerto Rico? Yeah. Yeah. They were paying and it was a short, short stint, you know? So like, uh, in order to get me down there, they, they had to pay, you know, decently, you know? So at the oh, time, wow. you know, it's like they were paying for the housing, they were paying for the car. Um, you know, they were paying for like food and everything. So basically it was all expenses paid. You're living I mean, in Puerto Rico with your family for like three, four months and you're making 12,000 a month, you know, like it's damn. just like, okay. You know, so yeah. All right. <laughs> so, <I'm in. laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, Jeez. you know, so from that, from that standpoint, I was like, okay. And you know, some guys can make a lot more if they were there longer, but uh, for me, it was just like, I probably had, I probably, uh, if I was really going to be about trying to make the NBA. I probably would have done the D league at the time or went overseas, but with a family, I was just very concerned with how that was going to play out, you know? And I yeah. just, uh, I knew a bunch of my, my buddies and guys that had been playing overseas that weren't getting their money that were stuck in like Czechoslovakia or Poland or some of these places. And, you know, it just was a hard life. And so mm -hmm. I said, you know what, it's about time I start making some money and start putting what I did athletically into the corporate world. And that was my mentality. I was like, I'm going to go 
crushed this and I felt pretty good about what I did in pharmaceutical sales and stuff. And then when I started my own business, everything that I got from the master's program and learning about marketing and, and sales strategies and things like that, I incorporated into business and, and just built that up for the 10 years that I, I was doing that. I love it. So wait, you did that for 10 years? Pharmaceutical yeah. sales? Okay. Wow. No, I did, so, I did pharmaceutical sales. I did for two years. Then I went into, I uh, started Pro Hoops in 2004. Uh, till about 2014. So I had a 10 year run there. And uh, what was and, great about that. And know, that was, it's, was it private lessons? It was private lessons, yeah. but it was, did you have like a team of people that were? I did. I had, yeah. I had about uh, five or six trainers that were with me. Um, wow. We all trained, like the system was all the same. I always told people when they call, it's like, I might not be able to train you, but you can go work with John Randazzo, who, you know, for Oceanside guy, you can work with him. He played at Sacred Heart. He, he knows the system. That was the biggest thing. Like we have all the same terminology. We teach the same concepts, but the way the delivery might be different, right? Like yeah. the delivery you yeah. might get from Matt Sarah might be different than what you're getting from, you Absol- know, absolutely. Mr. Yeah. Thompson, right? Or something, yeah, right? Yeah, you're Ray yeah, Longo yeah. and company, absolutely. right? Like, yeah. So, um, so that was the biggest thing. Like we're all part of the same umbrella. Got it to the point where we had major uh, sponsorship deals with Muscle Milk and Under Armour. You know, had a couple commercials with Kemba Walker that were nationally televised. Um, so the training techniques were starting to you know, be shown on a, on a bigger scale. Yeah. And the biggest thing for me was just trying to figure out like, you know, when you're on your own business is like, uh, how do I overcome this challenge? Right. Whether it's facility time uh, for me, it was housing for the longest because guys would have to come to Long Island and everything's so spread out. Now you have to get a car. You have to figure out where you're going to stay for two weeks. Um, you know, by the time they pay you, it's like, man, I'm already like four or 5,000 in a hole if I'm going to do this. Right. Wait, so, was this, know. I'm sorry to interrupt again, but is yeah. this, um, was it, I know you're doing like high school kids and college kids but were you doing you were doing some programs we were doing too? pros yeah yeah how'd yeah. you how'd you pull that off like to start them again uh, was it like one one guy is what you needed to start off with and then from there yeah start it started off or? it started off slow i think once i decided to um go full in with basketball training kind of was one of those things where college coaches who had guys that were now becoming pros they were like hey would you mind taking a look at this kid or working with him. And then all of a sudden that kid had a chance to become a pro. And it just kind of built by word of mouth at that time. And mm. My first pro was Wally Zerbiak, who's a Long Island legend from Coastal Are you Harbor. kidding me? No. You, he, so, you, you worked with him? That was my guy. Yeah. So That's he was, crazy. It, you know, so we ended up doing a VHS tape together on, on his, his training methods. And it was the most awesome video you could ever imagine because he, he went into it like wanting to show the mistakes. And this is what I love about him. He set the he set the like the the blueprint for for our, our our organization at that time with his mentality because just on the tape alone, like we went unedited, like all right, we're gonna go two minutes as hard as we can. He could have missed five shots in a row. He's like, let's not let's do it over. He was just like, no, I want them to see this because this is real. And you know that's right. kind of where my terminology of make it ugly came from. Like we're not trying to look pretty in practice. Like if. If you're doing everything perfect, either I'm not challenging you hard enough, or you're not going hard enough, and that's not good enough, right? I love and that. And so it's that make I, it It's the same thing in wrestling. I, I, yeah. Uh, because everyone wants to do everything right. So they stick to what they're already good at as opposed right. to taking challenging themselves and trying new things and trying to get better in, in situations that they need to get better in. They don't want to look dumb in front of other people. That's the biggest yeah. thing, right? And so yeah. you have to break down that barrier and be like, screw it. Like, I'm going to make mistakes here all day long. And then once I get out there, the finished product is going to be nice. You know, and that's mm. that was that's what he brought to the table. I, the best story I have that we told we told all the kids and it became a part of our our you know our, our, our lingo and language was that when he came, when he had a $65 million contract at that time with the Minnesota Timberwolves as an all-star playing with, with Kevin Garnett. Um, he came back into town and he, he hit me up. He's like, Hey, I'm, I'm looking to get some work tonight. And I said, I, I want to, I said, I'm, I'm doing a, uh, I'm doing a, a girl's clinic 
middle school, high school girls clinic at Holy Trinity high school. <laughs> um, you know, and unfortunately I'm not gonna be able to do it. You know, he's like, well, you're going to be working on the bully moves and the rip moves and all those techniques. I said, yeah, I said, I'll come through. So now, you know, we have the NBA all-star coming to work out with these girls in middle school and high school, uh, willing to wait in line. Like it's six, eight, you know, chiseled. No, and you got like five foot four, no. you know, like little That's, girl, little Susie yeah, from wherever yeah, and yeah, this one. Yeah. And he's waiting in line like everybody else. And and that same night, another girl was coming in to the like to work out at the clinic. And she was a Division One player coming from the Hamptons. And it took her forever to get there, probably an hour and 20 minutes or so to get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, she looked around the gym and, and she was overheard walking out of the gym with her dad. These girls aren't on my level and left. Wow. So, you know, to this day, we always talk about like, it doesn't really matter who else is in, in the facility or the gym. If you're there, you're going to get better. And you're, yeah. you're you know, th- for us, it was we're training. We're not in there to like play pickup or, you know what I mean? Like have, have anybody necessarily spar. It was more about just building your techniques and doing the things that we need to do to get better individually in a group format. And so to this day, that's, that's one of my favorite things. You know, I wish I had like, you know, social media at that point in time, the show, like, you know, this guy, could you imagine right now, just like any of these top performers, like we had LaMelo Ball come to a clinic that I was doing and just hooping with the girls and, and getting involved in every single drill. It was just so cool. Yeah, that would be, that would be awesome well, to see. That's crazy. And then, you know, over the course of time with the pros, it just little by little, it just became like Jameer Nelson. I was going to Philly, you know, leaving the house at 4.30 in the morning to work him out, you know, by seven o'clock in, in Philly and then drive back to do more workouts, you know, do that a few times a week. And he was a guy that ended up becoming an all-star. And then, you know, a little bit of word of mouth, Charles Jenkins, you know, was a guy that was at Hofstra who I believe could be a pro started working with him young. He ended up getting drafted and it just took off like that. And then finally we got with a major agency and they started funneling, you know, guys that were just finished with college that were getting ready for the, for the draft process. And, you know, those guys, you know, started coming to me and we had a, a stretch there about three years. We had like eight or nine lottery picks that were, that were coming to Long Island to work with us. You could not answer this question if you don't want to, but like how much dirtiness goes down with, because there's so much money in basketball and you're training yeah. these possible superstars, guys who are going to the draft and how much dirt just starts coming around, you know, these kids at an early age, you know, trying to get in there, you know, trying to probably fill their pockets so their pockets get yeah. filled up afterwards. Is that, is that super yeah, common for you there's a, there's a part of that, right? Like that's part of, uh, you know, part of what would come my direction too, you know, as a trainer, because people realize who I was working with and, hey, if you can get them to sit down with me, you know, I'll hit you off if, you know, if, if they sign with me kind of thing, right? So yeah, that, yeah. that's an agency standpoint. You got certain guys on the travel circuit, you know, that, you know, working with kids and, you know, they're driving them everywhere, paying for all their stuff to make sure that, hey, when, you get put on, I get put on, right? Yeah. The, 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 that kind of deal. So you, you have a lot shoe of deal. <laughs> yeah, my shoe yeah, deal. You, you have a lot of the, um, you know, that's he's my guy, you know, and what can you do for my guy kind of mentality? And I'm mm. like, what do you mean you're a guy? You know, I would, I would always kind of ask that question. What do you mean? Like, you know, they wanted me to do stuff for free, you know, this, that. And I'd be like, hey, you can come in and, and try it. And, you know, over the course of time, you know, this, like if somebody really needs to help, you're going to help them. But I was never just going to give away all the years of work that I put in just to give it away. Just be like some guys like, oh, I got a 13 year old. That's going to be the next coming. Let's come on in. And because what will end up happening is if they don't value 
paying for it. They'll just go somewhere else as soon as they feel like some, somebody else can give them a better deal or whatever mm-hmm. the case may be. So, you know, when they, when they start putting money out of pocket and then, you know, they're invested and they start coming and then you start figuring out, all right, I can help you. I, you know, I want to help you now, you know, or, yeah. you know, you understand the storylines behind kids, you know, so that's just part of the, you know, part of the business, but yeah, you, you do see a lot of that because there's, there's a ton of money within the shoe deals. There's a ton of money within, you know, like obviously the AU circuit and, you know, um, these kids now, especially with college, with the, uh, the, the, the name and likeness deals that these kids are getting uh, on the basketball front are, are pretty amazing football and basketball in particular. Yeah. And it's going to, does that not stop start in high school now? Like, you know, people yeah. are going to probably start getting attached to them early on social media, right. It's, 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 so you have certain kids that, you know, have that social media presence at a, at a young age. Uh, Zion was one of those guys at an early age that just mm. people knew about his highlight reel dunks, you know, were so popular that, you know, by the time he got to college, you know, he had whatever a million or so coming out of high school just for, yeah. for the dunks. Right. So uh, a lot of these kids now, you know, because of that with TikTok and you know, Instagram and everything else that's out there, like you're starting to see some of these, really, really talented kids at a very young age. And, you know, if you've got, you know, some uniqueness to you and you're able to, to, to put it out there and, and, and it goes viral one time, you know what that can do for a kid. Yeah. What's your, what's your take on uh, the college athletes now being able to get paid? Uh, and where do you see how, like, how do you see that playing itself out over time? Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's, I think it's a, it's not a bad thing necessarily. I, th- I feel like, um, you know, potentially it could keep kids in school longer, you know, that maybe would try to, jump to go pro. Um, you know, and I think like if the, the, you know, the university or college is going to make money off of selling your number without your name attached, but everybody knows whose number that is, you know, I think you should, you should get something for that. Right. So, um, and and, and like anything else, um, they're probably going to have to figure it out over the course of the next few years. Cause I think that that could get murky as well. I think you're going to end up still seeing, you know, kids being guaranteed a certain amount of money. Hey, you come here, you know, um, uh, we'll link you up with Gary V and we'll get you, you know, <laughs> 300, 400,000, you know, yeah. probably in, in, you know, this sponsorship deal, this sponsorship deal, whatever the case may be. And um, I think that's going to be part of the recruitment process now, you know, so uh, it's, it's mm-hmm. yeah. So I think if, if, you know, if you think like, all right, well, they're only offering me 150 and they're going to manage my social media, but I can go here and they've got this social media firm that they can do this with. I, I'll probably pick that one. Cause they're going to give me 250 or 300. So uh, it's, yeah. I think the, I think it's going to be more based on not necessarily who can get you to that next level. It's more like, all right, I know I'm going to get the guaranteed money here. And if I don't, maybe I can, I can transfer because now you have the transfer portal where you, you don't have to sit out a year the way I had to sit out. Now guys can just go somewhere else without yeah. like free agency. So it's becoming more of a, a pro like atmosphere. Yeah. I think it's uh I think it's awesome that the college kids are going to get, be able to get paid. Uh, I just think it's going to be, it's going to be tough to organize it and and uh, and to just make it as legit as possible. And right. There's de- there's definitely going to be a lot of issues that need to be worked out. I think over yeah. time, but um, I think it's crazy that it wasn't always like this. The amount right. of money that colleges have made off of these athletes is insane. Yeah, I mean, it's how many kids at Hasha would have bought your jersey? Yeah, nah. come <laughs> nah, on, man. Come on, Long Island right? legend. Are you kidding uh, me? Yeah, no, nah, definitely. That would have maybe the singlet, right? The Wideman singlet. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, that's the thing that sucks for a wrestler. It's like, all right, how yeah. much money would I have made when I was in college? You know, right, uh, right. probably not much. 
<laughs> I mean, Tom Ryan did do a good job of filling up the seats uh, yeah. when, when I was at Hofstra. We did have some big dual meets, and but it doesn't compare to basketball. It doesn't. I know Hofstra is not, you know, UCLA or whatever, but yeah. uh, still, there's a lot of people in those stands, and those tickets cost money. And yeah. uh, there is jerseys that are being sold, you know, and it, even in a small school, there's there's money to be made. That's just crazy. Like, it, it was was football there when you were there? Yeah, yeah, it it, yeah. it, it was gone the right, the year right after I graduated, and that was a year where six guys went to the NFL from that team, right? Which and is that, that's, crazy. Yeah, you had like Lance Schulters and Wayne Corbett and all these guys, right? That were just legit pros you know playing in you know pro bowls super bowls and all that stuff and then when that went away obviously it, it was it was hard right so it's like yeah. you know that's you know but in the bigger schools they're making the, the football program is making crazy money you know for, yeah. the, for the university oh, so it's, 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 it's absolutely you know. crazy so you obviously got into the pros now but when did you decide since businesses was, was going so well yeah with uh pro hoops is it called pro hoop pro hoops yeah is the name yeah. of the business yeah. Uh, doing the lessons with all the NBA guys and just people on Long Island. Uh, when did that, when did you decide that you wanted to move on to try something different? Uh, originally, the person that got me thinking about coaching in general was uh, Jay Wright. He had a position that opened up at Villanova uh, the year before I got to to Orlando. Uh, you know, said, listen, think about it. Watch on staff um, because he had young guys and he wanted to develop them over three, four years. He didn't feel like he was getting one and done guys. And so, it would have been a great opportunity for sure, but I just felt like I didn't have an exit strategy. I wasn't even thinking that way at that time. I had my trainers that were all people that I considered friends and, you know, people that I grew up with and stuff like that that were with me. Uh, my wife was a tenured teacher, you know, in Long Island, which is very hard to come by. Mm -hmm. And so um, I was just like, all right, it was like three or four days. I said, coach, I can't do it. You know, I, just, I got too many people that I have to be responsible for here, you know, and uh, I said no to him. And he said, listen, I think you'll end up being in the NBA at some point just with your skill set. And I was just like, I just kind of laughed it off. Didn't think anything of it. Wasn't putting my resume out there. Wasn't doing the things that I see everybody doing nowadays to were, try to get into the NBA. Were you making, were you already, you were making money where you were happy? You know, your wife well, yes. was tenure. Like you were, yeah. you, you were living the dream really on Long Island. Yeah. Right? We, was, our house, your house, you know, we had a, a nice house. The kids were great. Allison worked in the same, you know, school district is where we lived in Glen Cove. So it's literally down the block. She's, she's a teacher in that school. The kids are going there. So it was great. Um, and then Orlando, Jack Vaughn, who was now the head assistant in Brooklyn, um, you know, he he reached out and it was more, it was, again, it was just based on just doing the right thing, right? Like as, as loving what you do and people start to take notice. Uh, Tobias Harris was a guy that I had for years. And so he was now a guy that got put on with Orlando and was doing really well. So that summer, you know, Tobias was working with me like he had done the previous summer and uh, he sent one of the coaches to come watch him work out. And th that coach happened to be a Hofstra coach at one point in time, Brett Gunning. And so Brett went back and said, like, oh, he's with Jay. He's fine. Like he's in good hands. He's, he's getting a lot of good work in. Uh, and then during that period, Orlando was getting nothing but lottery picks. Uh, they were losing so many games. So because I had so many lottery picks coming to Long Island and working, when they would go to Orlando for that pre-draft workout, they would ask, who are you working with? Well, we're in Long Island with Pro Hoops with Jay Hernandez. And so he's kept hearing my name and to his credit, he's like, we have a young squad here and we need a guy, you know, like Jay to come in. And so we had dinner in Brooklyn, you know, their last game of the season. And he just started asking me questions. It was like an informal interview. You know, why would you think about going into coaching now? And I, in my mind, I was like, I'm never going to Orlando. Like Allison will never move from Long Island. You know, she's yeah, like, this yeah. is not happening. And so I was just saying, I was like, yes, yes, yes. Like I'm there. Like I'll do it, you know, whatever, whatever it takes. I just want to see, you know, one if I can get the offer and what that offer would be. Yeah. You know, so that yeah. way I had some leverage for other things that would come down the pipeline. Yep. And, 
you know, eventually I just liked his, the way he approached it. And he's like, listen, I got a two-year deal for you. You can finish all your camps and clinics. Um, by the time they offered me, I, I don't remember when it was, might've been June or, you know, June probably. He's like, just finish what you got to finish come in September and you will get started. And in my mind, I'm like talking to Allison at that point in time. I'm like, listen, I want to give it a shot because if it, if it doesn't work out, I have the NBA on my resume, you know, there's no, there's no real way to separate yourself in business unless you have these kinds of credentials. Cause there's no doctoral program. There's no CSCS certification like you have in strength and conditioning. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it was just a way for me to say like, Hey, I've been in the NBA and now, you know, I've, I've managed to network with people in the NBA and I just figured it could help me down the line. And so she, uh, I ended up making that trip to Orlando without the family. So the hardest thing I've had to do, um, you know, and, and leave three kids behind. My my oldest at that time, Mikhail, was playing at St. Mary's. They were looking to win a state title for basketball. And um, so, and Allison was tenured. So she's like, you better, you know, know that this is what we're going to do before yeah. I give this all up. And so I went and it just, it was very, uh, I got a very like unwelcoming, you know, gift to the NBA in terms of the way things happened the first few, few years. Uh, whole staff got fired 52 games in. Um James Borrego, who I'm working with now, took over as interim head coach for 30 games. And then I thought we were going to get fired for sure. And um, they ended up keeping me on, you know, with the next staff. And Scott Skiles came in. He was phenomenal. You know, got a chance to work with him. He was an NBA legend. He has the all-time assist record in the NBA. Played with Shaq. Supposedly, supposedly him and Shaq fought. Like, he actually punched Shaq. And, you know, like, one of those, he's a little, little point guard. So he's you know? crazy. Yeah, he's he's fun. He's funny. He's crazy, but he was he was great to work with. And yeah. uh, same thing, you know, Allison and you know everybody was like, before we move, let's make sure you actually have a contract going past this year. So now we're in like maybe November, December. I'm like, Allison, it's time. Like, get the family here. I've had it. Like, I need you here. Um, I'm going to be here for the long haul. Like, he's already complimented me twice. You know, he's one of those guys <laughs> who just didn't compliment anybody, right? Yeah. And I was like, he's complimented me in public and. And I'm, I'm, he's going to fight for me. Like, I know this, like, just get the family here. And um, so they ended up moving in like late December, early January of that year, that second year that I was in the NBA. So um, for the first year, they were, they were Long Island, you were in Orlando. Yeah. And we tried like every three weeks or so, we tried to make it happen. I mean, the flights were crazy, but they would try to come to Orlando. Uh, Allison would drive to like Boston, Philly, <laughs> you know, uh, every city, you know, that she can get to on the, in the East coast, like she would basically driving to, if I had a game there, stay with me mm. in the hotel, um, you know, certain trips she, she, she'd go fly out to. So like, we, we try to make it work as best we could. Um, and then, yeah, that second year, same thing, start, started that year. We were, you know, kind of separated and then, you know, finally made that move. But uh, you know, what I tell people, they think that from an NBA standpoint, when I came in, um, I was making less than I was with my my business. So I actually took a hit. Mm. And you know, like when, when you have a family, like, and you're going for broke with a family, it's, it's different. It hits different. You're not by That's yourself. Scary, you're not, man. you're not. Uh, and that was what I was doing. I was like, just betting on myself and and with, with the backing of obviously my family say like, I can make this work. And so finally got them to do that. But I took a hit there. We took a hit on the house. We, we lost money in the house just to get them to move finally. And Allison lost her tenureship and, and everything that comes with that, you know, for uh, retirement. Yeah. And so, like, I was broke in the NBA, like, broke, broke, you know, like, literally going Wednesday, going to Costco and, put, you know, writing a check so that we can have, you know, some food type thing till, till the check came in two days later kind of thing. And in my mind, I was like, I'm just going to keep working with these guys, giving them the best that I can give them. And something will work out. It'll, it'll start to pan out the way I see it. And the crazy thing was Scott Skiles quit. He had a multi-year deal, a multi-million dollar deal on the table and quit in April of that year. So they moved in January. Now he quits in April 
And Frank Vogel came in who won a title with the Lakers came in and I had a conversation with him early on. And he was like, if I were you, I'd be looking, you know, he's like, you're going to keep working till basically we say, so like go work with these guys. And, and, uh, at that point in time, I was like, Oh my God, like I just moved my whole family here. Wow. I have no job. I have no job. I'm not gonna make any money past June. You know, like, what do I do now? Kind of thing. And I just kept, like I said, kept working, doing the right thing by the players. That was my main thing. It's like, if I just treat these guys right and, and show them that I care, good things will happen. Mm. And that's what happened. Like, I think, uh, Frank saw the work I put in that he was asking the players questions about the staff. And then he eventually talked to Jay Wright you know, on my behalf because uh, Jay had taken Frank Vogel in when he got fired early on in his career and said, hey, you can help us at Villanova. And Jay's like, if, if you have Jay Hernandez with you, you're you're in great hands. He's loyal. He'll work his butt off. you know. And, and then I ended up working with him for two more years and, and kind of solidified my, my, myself in the NBA. My network grew crazy because I really didn't know many people. I, don't, I wouldn't play in the NBA didn't have family that worked in the NBA, any of that stuff. I came from the outside. I, I really still look at myself as like the underdog black sheep, you know, just trying to show what I can do and how somebody from the outside can, can come on the inside and give a, maybe a little variety and some creativity to what we're doing here in the NBA. That is crazy, man. I can't believe uh, that's an inspiring story. That's exactly what you want to teach your kids, you know, and what I try to teach my kids is like just just be a good person and do the best you could possibly do and, you know, yeah. and just work super hard. Don't look for handouts. Don't look for, you know, uh, anything special. Just, just do it because you love it. Right. And work right. as hard as you possibly can and good things will happen. That's you know? the number one thing, you know, like if you love what you do, you know, they, they call it play. Like if you, you're playing at work and you love it, you know, you're going to be, you're going to sustain it for longer, you know, and, and same thing, you got the play, you know, your potential, you know, the purpose behind what you're doing. And then there's potential behind, Hey, there's growth here. I can, I can do X, Y, Z. If I continue to work here, you have those things lined up. I mean, I think sky's the limit, you know, and I think most people that take risks are either desperate, uh, not very smart, you know, they're, they're just taking risks to take risks, you know, and then there's a small percentage of people that have put the work in that are taking that calculated risk and are willing to pull the trigger to do that, you know, regardless of the circumstance, I'm all in. And so now your odds of being more successful increase exponentially, right? And, and yeah. that's what ends up happening. I think most people look at the odds of saying, like, what are the odds of you being an NBA coach, you know, an NBA assistant? Very, very minimal. You know, it's 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 very, very tiny, especially with me who didn't wasn't even looking to get into the NBA in the first place. Like, I don't know what the odds yeah. are on that, you yeah. know. And so you look at all the different things that you, you, you put in place and you realize, like, hey, we're all special in, in different ways. We just got to find that that value in what we're doing, you know. Absolutely. So, did you um, – did? Did you dissolve uh, pro hoops? Did that just go away yeah. after you went to? Uh, yeah, it's still it's still going. Yeah, that, you know, again, my guy John Randazzo is still doing stuff in Long Island. Uh, Ross and Tim Burns are doing a tremendous job in 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 Brooklyn and Manhattan. You know, running stuff. But I had to divest my 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 whole portion of it um, within a year because uh, NBA tampering rules. They 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 felt like I had too many NBA guys there, and I had too too much of a connection, I guess, to try to pull somebody. But I tried to explain to them like. You offer the guy $30 million. He's going to come here regardless. Yeah, you know, yeah, he's yeah, not coming yeah. here for me for 20, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, so, but it's, you know, that's what it is. So at that point in time, I, you know, I knew it was in good hands and, and, you know, it's, it hurt, it hurt, you know, it was one of those things like I, to this day, I'm still very competitive with seeing like who's blowing up now, you know, guys yeah. are like a little bit underneath. And yeah. so it definitely gave you that edge competitively as an entrepreneur, you know, every day I'm always like competing and trying to figure out like, how do I get to that next level? But uh, it's, yeah, it was, it was a big part of who I was. And I think that's, what's helped me, you know, get to this point. And like I said, it's, uh, you know, the mentality I got from the entrepreneurship and then the mentality I got from 
Muay Thai, you know, and, and the stuff I got there. And that, I think we met that my first time we met was just on the rehab table Yeah, um, years ago. Yeah. You know, Garden, Garden City. City and, um, I think, but I don't know what it might've been. My shin bone was like soft and, you know, you were, I remember you telling me that. Bro, don't talk about story. shin bones being soft. Okay? It's too soon. Too soon <laughs> sorry, all right? man, I got a soft uh, shin bone too. I used to have a hard one. I used yeah. to break people's legs. Now my legs I know, break. I know. <laughs> You'll be I'm back. Just I already know. I'm just kidding. No, but, um, you know, I remember you telling me like, Hey, we're going to these, these awards and I'm, I'm going with my wife and uh, Anderson Silva's going to be there. And I don't know. You know, I know he's a respectful guy, but I don't know how it's going to be. You know what I mean? I remember you you telling that story of like being there with her and, and you know, kind of going into that next stage of, of, of your career, you know, trying, yeah. trying to get that and just, just being in that, in that framework. But, you know, for me, it was like I took the Muay Thai very seriously. Like uh, backtrack when I was going to Puerto Rico, I actually, you know, I'm uh, Keith Tremble. Yeah, I worked yeah. with him. My man Keith, the bull. Yeah, Keith Come is bull. awesome. So uh, Keith yeah. was uh, over in Glenhead doing some stuff and then, and, uh, you know, at the time, like we, we knew some of the same people. So I ended up going over there to just hit mitts with him. And, you know, it wasn't anything. He wasn't hitting me in the head or doing anything crazy. I was just like, you know, he had me doing pull-ups and, you know, the typical like individual yeah. lesson yeah. with somebody who doesn't know how to fight. Right? You, you, well, you're so, probably doing harder workouts than Volante. So <laughs> no, <good. laughs> nah, Volante was a two-sport athlete. We can't get, you know, uh, can't, can't, can't take anything from a man, mm. but so but i'll leave uh, him alone yeah. since he's retired yeah now. if he was right, still if he was still fighting i bust his balls more right now definitely uh, so now so i got with him and i just like i said from my background of just loving just fighting like with my dad we used to do olympic points which was like we could hit in the chest and the stomach area with fists you know it was like olympic points we just so you just kind of cover up and just so i when I went into like kickboxing, I had like more of a boxing stance. Like, you know, everything was like yeah. shoulder side, roll, you know, side, trying to yeah. be like, yeah. And yeah. I'd be bouncing around. And, and then when I remember when going to the Muay Thai gym, I went to it was at the time it was called extreme. It's now militia. It's in, in Queens now. And I remember like early on, they got me into sparring. It was like two weeks in and really, yeah. And I was, and when I was going against a guy, an amateur guy who had like a Valley Tudo background, you know, Kempo karate, the whole thing. And he was an amateur fighter, had like seven, eight fights strong guy and i remember going in there doing my whole like boxing thing like hey you know jab jab and he kicked my leg and i'm like the fuck what was you know my, I'm like, what was that so next time you know so i'm, I'm sitting there moving around he does it again so next time i, I go like, you know, i try to put oh, my no. hands down right oh no comes across with a hook like hooks oh. me in the head and i'm like almost out of my feet so now i go back to the corner and the guys like yeah you gotta fight this guy he's crazy right like go just go just go keep your hands up or whatever just laughs around so i last around i'm like all right either i gotta ask for my money back and look like I'm super soft or I got to learn how to defend myself. And I had yeah. great reflexes. I was in great shape. Yeah. So I just said, listen, I just want to learn how to defend, you know, just teach me how to defend, how to check kicks, how to check body kicks, you know, all this stuff. And I started doing that and I loved it. And it just, it was something I kept doing pretty much in the off season. I got to a point where I was a lull in, in, in terms of my workouts. And I knew if I told them I wanted to fight, that there was no return. Like basically I'd, have to lose weight. I'd have to be all in. And yeah, yeah. It's so a, that's what I did. I was like, it was like December. I was like the heaviest I'd been at that point in time, you know, my whole career, I was like in the one seventies and all of a sudden I'm like an adult and I'm like hitting 195. Right. And, and you know, 198. And I'm like, no, nah, this is not good. I, I got to maintain some level of cardio conditioning. Cause I knew I had pre-draft workouts with these young guys coming up every year. These guys are 18, 19 killers. And I want yeah. to be ready to handle like 12 hour straight days with these guys. So that was the thing. I was like, all right, I want to try to fight. So I ended up doing that. I went from 198 to 158. Fought at a 158. Are you kidding me? No. So you guys. Damn. Like, I, I got. I, I was. I was into it. I was doing like prison workouts in the park. Like, um, I ended up connecting. You know, um, a crew. Tyrone was there. He was great. And then this 
other guy, Black Dynamite, uh, they call him Black Dynamite, um, Cyrus Washington. He was a yeah, bare knuckle right. champion in Thailand. He actually worked with Frankie Edgar a little bit. You know, yeah, I know, I know, I, I know the name. Yeah, I, probably, I definitely know the face. Yeah, yeah. So he's he's fought at like Miramar, where the headbutts are legal and it's just hand wraps mm. and. Um, so I learned under him and then, um, and you know, all about it from, from Katrina. I mean, not Katrina, um, Sam, no, Sandy, Sandy, Sandy yeah. um, um, Chris Romulo, who's also a guy in the Rockaways, who was a, a, a national champion, professional Muay Thai champion. Um, he was in the gym as well because he didn't have a gym anymore. It got wiped out. So his house and business got wiped out. So I met so many great people and just like the, were you, this world. is in Queens, this was in Queens in that extreme yes. gym. Gotcha. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And it, it turned into militia. And then, then it was like a hybrid of all these really good, you know, uh, coaches and stuff that came there at that point in time. And so I was like, I felt really good about it. I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm in here sparring, you know, why, why not just test myself, you know, in front of everybody. And everybody thought I was crazy. Like, they're like, what are you doing? But like, are you serious? Yeah. Like, what's your problem? <laughs> you know, like, is this like a midlife crisis? Like what's yeah, going on? Yeah, like, no, yeah. like, uh, it's like, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, you can hit a heavy bag and feel good about it, you know, but it's like, I just want to see where I, I stack up. It's not, yeah. you know, it's very much, it was all about that. So I went in, we, we had, uh, so I did that, got to 158, ended up um, winning by TKO in the third round. That, and we okay. fought in like some random gym in the Bronx, you know, it was like this, uh, you know, you could smell the tie oil, the place was packed out. I had like 70 people there to come see me, you know, and it was, it was awesome. And then followed that the next year, I did it again, uh, won by TKO, like, by, I guess, yeah, I didn't go into the second round. And then my third one was at World Resorts Casino. And that's when it started getting to be like, okay, now you're starting like um starting to like fight the competition some, some was real, going up a little bit yeah, more. Yeah, like you, you yeah. were in you were in like take on and Friday night fights and all the like the local okay, yeah. kickboxing, you know, where you know you're watching, you know, some legit like Tiger Shulman's guys, you know, um who just fought um lady who just fought um the girl from Tiger Showman? Yes. Uh, yes. Caitlin Chukigan was there. Um, now, who just fought though on this last card and lost the split decision? A girl. Yeah. Damn it! I don't know. She's uh, uh, she, she's also uh, she does broadcasting and stuff too. She's um, well, you'll, you'll remember in a second. She, oh man. Anyway, I, I saw. I remember whatever. seeing her fight on Broad Street. You know, kickboxing. She's a, she's got a kickboxing background. Her her fight was maybe fight of the night for the last UFC. I mean, phenomenal. So I, I did that take on, ended up winning that by, by, by decision, um, unanimous decision. And I'm thinking the next year I'm going to keep going. I'm like, you know what, why not? And I was supposed to fight at MSG on a card at MSG and, um, the fight ended up, the card got canceled. And so we ended up doing a, a, uh, basically a documentary on like the fighter mentality. It's, it's called rep your work. And what it was, was just taking my guys that were in pre-draft and taking them to Muay Thai and doing like the, the fight runs, I would call them through the park, Morgan Park and Glen Cove. And just what that mentality meant, because when you're in pre-draft, you're by yourself. It's basically like me versus you for the million dollar payout, right? When you go to these, these workouts, there's maybe yeah. three or four guys there. Sometimes it's only two guys. So I, I wanted to embed that mentality to, to the players. They're like, hey, it's just you first them for the first time in your career. You know, it's not like playing a team, you know, team sport. Like they're looking at you individually and saying, is this guy worth, you know, <laughs> a top 10 pick? And yeah. How do you, how do you, how do you separate yourself in that, in that world? And so it was pretty cool. So we ended up kind of adapting the documentary to, to that aspect of it, but it was, it was kind of geared towards that mentality, but I, I just fell in love with it. Um, you know, like I said, it was uh, early on, it was Anderson Silva, who I, I remember watching and seeing him just demolish people. I'm like, what the hell is he doing? You know, like, <laughs> yeah. this guy, you know, like. Whatever he's doing, he's just like 
clenching like yeah. and then just knocking dudes he's out playing with dudes he's just yeah. playing with dudes knocking them out when he wants to i mean what's more free than that when, when, it's amazing what he did with franklin at that time like oh my clinch, god yeah. i was just oh. like this this guy you know because he was skinny you know and i'm like how is he manhandling franklin like this right i just i couldn't believe it so you know obviously when you fought him i was i was rooting for you but uh, he was he was a, he was <laughs> a guy that, that, clear that up. yeah originally like he was a guy that i was looking at i was like i want to i want to learn how to do that you know it's like uh, that, that'd be pretty cool to be able to stand up and use all your all your limbs and whatever and you know so that, that's how i got into it but you know since then like i said i've been a huge ufc fan you know watching you fight at nassau coliseum was my my favorite one. Oh, my my wife so teared funny. up, man, when you're coming, oh. you know, because knowing your background and I've always told her about you and your family dynamic and very similar, you know, in terms of family. Yeah, we definitely have a lot of similarities for sure. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, being in Carolinas yeah. now and everything. So like I, I went there with Tobias Harris and um, we sat, you know, close to Kate's side. We were right there and could see your family coming in and Billy Joel playing. I mean, it was just like straight Long Island, right? It like, was we were just awesome. sitting there going crazy. And then, you know, seeing your family in there and seeing how emotional everybody was. I remember my wife tearing up. I'm like, this is pretty cool. It's such an amazing night. So, you know, for me, just uh, to be able to like actually see see that and be able to witness all the other great moments, you know, over the course of time, it's been been pretty cool. I appreciate it. You just gave me yeah. freaking chills. Yeah, that, that fight was... <laughs> That fight, well, that it felt like I won a uh, title fight. It felt like I, I just won the world championship. If I had to, it was Anderson Silva won. I knocked him out, became world champion for the first time ever, and obviously being the greatest of all time was was insane. And the way it happened was just yeah. mind blowing. So that feeling was was uh, indescribable. Other than that, it's that Kelvin Gastelum fight, that and was it wasn't because it, it's Nassau Coliseum. Yeah. I was coming off a losing streak. People were doubting me. I had my back against the wall and in my hometown, basically, you know, I'm in front of, I mean, the the energy in that Coliseum was, I mean, I'll never forget it. I'm getting the chills just thinking about it. It was unbelievable. Um, You you didn't come out to Tom Petty, right? I no, I came out to I came out the Bill I came out of the I came out of the mix. Tom Petty came out, came on later. It was like Billy Joel first, and then it went to something else, and then went to Tom Petty. We switched it up for that. Um, yeah. So I, uh, yeah, yeah, that that fight to me was was you was also. You you I mean, he he hit you with a bomb too at, at the end of that first, and so that, that, like just the ability that fight it wasn't like you dominated fight like you yeah. showed the the championship spirit right of like being able to like take that shot and be like all right I'm back in my corner let me regroup and, and yeah came out and, yeah you know, was thank awesome. God I was good like I yeah. Like I, I mean, I, I dropped like I right to my, I, but I was aware the whole time. I've been hit with shots where it's like you don't, you, you don't even remember yeah. it. That I was completely aware. Hit me it was a good shot, obviously, and, and it's funny because that mother ever, like he's so short, yeah, and yeah. I know what he's gonna. All he wants to hit me with is that left hand. He does right. it to everybody, and I'm like. <laughs> I know what I'm going to stay away from is that left hand, and then he hits you yep. with it. It's like, you freaking kidding me? Yeah, yeah. He's sneaky with it. He's very sneaky. Right. He's a t- that's, that's a measure a t- of greatness, though, right? Like I, I always tell guys, like, the true measure of greatness is, like, knowing what somebody's going to do, and they, they can still do it. Absolutely. You know, it's like, it's like I, I got to, you know, we, we do it all the time. Like, you can't let them go left. You can't let them go left. And it's like, <laughs> guys going left every single time. Like, you just can't stop it. It's just yeah. like something about certain guys and their strengths, right? Yeah, yeah. There's so, that confidence, you know? Like, yeah. a guy who's so good with going left doesn't think you have a chance of stopping him going left. So, right. you worried about him going left. There's not enough confidence to beat right, right. his confidence. It's like, I yeah. feel like everything is so mental. It's insane. Um, I didn't realize you got into fighting like that. I, didn't, yeah. I, I knew you were a fan of the sport. I knew you had trained. I didn't realize you fought and had three yeah. fights. 
That's yeah, crazy, so like man. Now, what's cool about the NBA is I get to travel the, the country and, you know, I've, I've been able to link up with like Kuba Perez, you know, in Houston and, nice. do, you know, hit, yeah. hit pads with him for years now and been, you know, just an awesome experience to, to be able to do that. Um, you know, I went to Steve Bay's gym once in Cleveland, uh, worked with one of their wrestlers, a young guy, they stuck me with a young guy and we, you know, it was yeah. cool, you know, like just to go, go, go do stuff with him. Yeah um you know obviously keith so like different different cities i try to find a place it's not always doesn't always work out because we're working our butts off watching film and it might be a back-to-back and you know sometimes you try to connect with people but they've got fights going on and so it becomes a little bit harder but um you know i I just enjoy that process of being able to continue to still train and you know see people and kind of watch some of the workouts as they go on you know do you do you usually just go like find a gym and then you want to hit pads there or what kind of workouts you like to do yeah it's usually usually um yeah, pad work, you know, try to get with, with guys. Uh, Julian Chua right now, also in LA, who's got a bunch of boxers. Uh, uh, he's got uh, the Italian guy, the middleweight. Vittori? Yeah, he's got Vittori. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so like he, he works, um, you know, he works out there um, as a boxing guy. So I've, I've been able to connect with him for years, you know, and, and, and you know, do, do some stuff there. So like over the course of time, you start seeing some of these younger trainers that, you know, you had been with that now are working their way up and doing some, some pretty good things. And so, yeah, it's crazy. Um, yeah. So it's cool. Like you learn like just how people teach and their style of teaching and, you know, you pick up And for me, I always pick up just different things and, you know, yeah. like the footwork, the footwork in Muay Thai, um, helped me out a lot, you know, in regards to just like, um, flexibility, mobility. Um, I love to spin in basketball. So like even like spinning back fists and, Oh Yeah. <laughs> You know, heel kicks and you know like different yeah. things like that like I, yeah it's a it's natural for me like i can really I can find it yeah it's not so natural like, for me at all yeah <laughs> that is that is not yeah. natural for me at all no so like you know so it's cool when you start to see these things and then you know all, of course all the all the nba guys try to act tough and you know you see them actually try to throw a punch or something like oh that's not <laughs> i know that doesn't look good yeah i know so, how athletic they are though and but i'm just yeah. like damn it you're so big and you're so athletic yeah you, you would think that everybody could just throw a punch because well, all like guys a, all guys think they all guys think they're tough all guys think they could throw hands you know everyone yeah. if, especially if, if you're from a rougher neighborhood like you right. slap box and yeah and you have this you have this false sense of confidence i think which I, I, it's it's good confidence against the majority of people but then if yeah. you're looking at people who actually train even a little bit you know nothing uh, I was the same right. way. I thought I was the man. You know, I thought yeah. I, I thought I had hands, and then all of a sudden you go to a, a, like a boxing gym, and uh, you learn pretty quickly. No, uh, yeah, you got to work on this. <laughs> you see it, in, you see it with the trailer fights now, and yeah, you know the way these guys look. It's it's sad, and then it's uh, it's a combination. I like, thought what's his name, uh, Deontay, uh, Devon, uh, Williams. Devontae Williams. Yeah, yeah, uh, Darren yeah, Williams. Thought, yeah, what's his name? Darren Williams. Darren Williams. Yeah, yeah. My bad. yeah. He, I thought he looked good. I mean, he's older. He wasn't trying. You know, I don't think he's trying to be anything special. Right. But I thought he had good footwork. He did yeah. a good. I think he did a good job. A I it, mean, yeah. If you, could, if you could throw a straight, you know, a straight jab and keep your hands up and just kind of, you know, like, yeah. You yeah. know, I think guys just get wild, right? The first time they get hit, it just becomes like, you know, I'm coming, you know, guns blazing, you know, and just they don't realize like, um, you just yeah, got to get The touch, dude, uh, what's his name? Shouldn't have fought the guy who fought Jake Paul the second, uh, his second fight, I think, or first fight. Um, what's his name? Robinson. Um, oh, Nate Robinson. Nate Robinson. Yeah, that yeah. was I, he was not right. He really wasn't. No, ready. I, I don't think he probably he probably didn't spar at all. You know, that's <sighs> the thing. So you have to. It was hard to see. You have to get used to taking shots you know yeah. that's at the end of the day you have to and it can't stun you to the point that like you freeze right like it's just like all right i got hit and you just you hit back you know it's not like yeah. this you hit i hit you know whatever the case may be yeah. yeah i just that's the thing that like same thing appreciation for like the small guys in the gym that would just 
kill you in the street, right? Like there's certain guys that all of a sudden you're like, oh man, what this guy's doing in jujitsu, you know, in, in, in boxing, you know, if he saw most people, you know, they'd probably think like, I, you know, I body you and it's just, you know, yeah. like it's that they have no shot. So people always think like you have this ultimate confidence that you can just go fight anybody or do anything. Cause you, have, you took a couple of classes. Like, no, it's put you in the other frame of mind. Like everybody's a threat. Yeah, you know, like you don't yeah. know. I have respect for knows. any man and yeah. any anybody. I have respect for anybody because I know. Listen, at any given point, if you're not prepared for it, you get hit with something. Anything right. can happen. So I respect right. anybody, even if you haven't trained. Um, the odds are in my favor, but I still, yeah. I still have like you know, there's like people say that to me too. It's like, yo, it must be awesome to walk into any room and know that you could beat everybody's ass, or like you know, you're in the car and there's yeah. something going on, like you, know, you could beat this dude's ass. But I'm always expecting the worst. I'm expecting. Uh, him to have a knife or a gun. Like, right, I'm, right. I'm, I'm never yeah. starting any right. drama because right. I'm just, unless you're doing something to mess with my family, um, yeah. you're not going to really, you're not going to get me to the point of, you no. know. And take, I feel like with a guy like you, people who know you or know somebody else, they feel like they have to go to the extreme with a guy yeah. like you. Yeah, right? good luck. Like, they, I'm they're a not bigger guy to begin on. with, you know, right. so it's either you're my size and now you're going to get your ass whipped or you're bigger, you're going to get your ass whipped or you have a yeah. gun or a knife. Right. You know, most likely, yeah. you know, if, if you if you know who I am, you're gonna have a gun or a knife. That's yeah, it. Yeah. like, <laughs> right, that, right. like <laughs> uh, I would assume. But right. um, so with the Charlotte Horner players, like, are are you are you able to teach them some of this stuff? Are they are you interested in uh, cross training? Uh, they are. Yeah, there, there's uh, like in the off season, you know, there, there's stuff that we'll do. Like, you know, sometimes some of these guys are actually working with like boxing trainers and stuff like that, and. Um, yeah, yeah. To be able to get with, get them with you in this off season now that you're in Carolina, like you know stuff like that. I think they would eat it up. You know? Let's do it. They're, they're Let's always do looking, it. Yeah, Christian McCaffrey just hit me up recently. He wants to, he, really? he wants to become a ninja in the off season. I guess he's nice. injured now, so he's yeah, yeah. But that's uh, awesome. Yeah, yeah. We'll, so we'll it's it's, it's fun because again, you can mold like, a lot of these guys. You know, and like I said, it's just you can see they are coordinated, but it's amazing just with. You know, I have to send you a, a picture of like Kemba back in the day trying to throw a kick and, you know, like his arm is all the way up here. The, the kick is like all flailing. And then like, you know, it's just it's interesting, you know, because he has a breakdancing background. He's so fluid on the court and, you know, bring him to the gym. And it's like, oh, really? You know, like, know. and so it's it's cool to see them in that environment, but they love it. I mean, they all, you know, they all like I, I, want to I, do that. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, I, I just appreciate anybody, especially an athlete like that, to put themselves in a situation where it's embarrassing to see the yeah. other guys to be around who know more than you, watching you look like a fool. It's embarrassing to do, but you have to start yeah. somewhere. You have to right. just start. Like everyone's going to look like an idiot at first. That's you know? the scariest thing is walking through any any gym like that. You know, for the first time when the door opens up and you're the new guy and everybody's looking at you and you know trying to just get past that, but then you realize like the. The camaraderie, you know, and that, that yeah. people are really trying to help you. You know, if you're part of that gym, yeah. for the most part, it's that family atmosphere where people are like, hey, you're part of this now. You know, I'm going to help you. Yeah. And, you know, by helping you get better, I'm going to get better because, you know, I don't want to – it's boring for you for guys to dominate, right? Like, at the yeah. end of the day, you want to be challenged. Yeah. And I think that's that's the biggest thing when I'm working with my players. I'm always trying to find ways for myself to get better so I can help them get better. And I'm trying to figure out how, do I, how can I challenge this guy. And that's the first thing is, like, if, you know – when, what I would see early on from guys in the pros would be they would want to almost quit when it did, didn't look good. Like, oh, this yeah. is stupid, right? Like, I, I'll, I'll never do this, you know? Yeah. And it's like, I'm trying to enhance your skill level. I'm not, you know, I get it, you know? So eventually that's where like a lot of the make it ugly stuff came from. Like, if you're not making that, like I, I'm almost, I'm clapping when I'm making the mistake. I'm like, yo, that's nice. Like, let's do it yeah. again, again, again. Because if I do it 10 times in a row, you mess up on eight. 
you only have to do it one time right in the game, right? So like that, that's where we're trying to overload some of those principles and work on them and rep them, rep them. And so, uh, you know, that's been the fun part, just trying to get these guys to, you know, take it to that next level. And, you know, like I said, it's, for me, it's being able to compete with those guys in different ways too. You know, like as I'm getting older, I used to play one-on-one with those guys all the time and, you know, do that and compete, compete. And then it got to a point where it's like, all right, I, I don't know if I'm going to tear something today. I've been sitting for like a week and, yeah. you know, so now it's just like, all right, now we play like follow leader, you know, like almost like horse type shots and, you know, ball handling routines and stuff like that. But it's, uh, you know, you try to figure out different ways to make it competitive. Yeah. This would be our last question. Uh, yeah. I'm going to wrap it up. But what do you notice like the difference from the pe- the kids that were kind of up and coming when you were, uh, you know, when you were playing uh, compared to the kids now that are uh, up and coming? Is there any is there any uh, differences that you see? Uh, yeah, I think that the biggest thing right now is just the the social media, you know, presence, right? Just uh, how popular certain people are, you know, because of social media and what they're posting. You know, when I was coming up, it was just like I played against Kobe Bryant in high school, you know, going to my senior year at a huge showcase. And wow. uh, people knew people knew how good he was. Like, you kind of like, oh, he's like the best player in Philly or something. Right. But there was no I didn't see any videotape on him. I'm like, All right, I'm going to go pick this guy full court. I'm a, I'm a dog. Him. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, in my mind, yeah, I'm going to yeah. I'm going to. Yeah. And but you just didn't have any tape or any footage of these guys. Right. You kind of just going in blind, you know, just, you know, and you just only knew certain stuff based on like the. You know, you're a USA Today All-American or you're a Newsday's mm-hmm. All-Long Island kind of guy. There wasn't any footage really of guys until you played against them or saw them. Uh, so I think nowadays, like, it's everything's out there for you to see, you know. So it's you're either getting exposure or you're getting exposed, right? So if you're a guy that's not been putting in the time or putting real work, you know, you could get exposed as well, you know, when when you get out there. But um, I think it's it's having that. I think it's, it's what it's doing to some of the young psyche. I think it's like they – everything that they – they do has to look good because they know potentially it's going to get posted, you know, mm. and it's, uh, you see it sometimes early, you know, in the NBA too, it's like if they're doing a drill and they mess it up and the social media guys behind them, they don't post that. Yeah, yeah, they're, yeah. they're very, very aware of what's going on out yeah. outside. Right. Mm. So I think that's probably the biggest thing that our kids are having to deal with us as parents are having to deal with, you know, how to manage, you know, what they're on, what they're seeing. Mm. And, um, you know, and, and again, if they're somewhat talented, you know, what that does to their ego and, you know, who they think they are, you know, the self-awareness piece starts to go away a little bit, you know, because yeah. you start believing a little bit more of the hype than uh, than you should. And how, how do you deal with, uh, obviously, most of the players in the NBA that you have to coach and, uh, you know, and, and teach things to are people that were, you know, uh, standouts their whole entire life. Yeah. And so their egos have to be pretty inflated. How do you how do you do how do you deal with uh, egos, like big it's a good egos, question. And, yeah. and kind of circumventing that? But all, because you want to teach them, you want to help them yeah. out. But yeah, a lot of it is just um, you know, for me, it's it's uh, you know, it's an old Kareem quote. It's uh, sweat binds more than glue, and so like just being on the court with them early on and and putting them through drills and asking them like, hey, what's your motivation? What are your goals? Um, you know, what do you want to work on? You know, so I, I kind of give them what they want early and eventually build that trust. You know, I realize like, you know, this guy knows the stuff and he's putting me through some good things. I see some improvements here. Then I can give them what they need. You know, that's the biggest thing. It's like, if I just come out guns blazing, like, Hey, you got to do this, this, and this. And they're like, who are you? You know, it's yeah, like, yeah. you know, but once you are out there consistently with them, helping them improve and, and showing up when they show up and, um, I think that's the biggest thing is just building that, that care factor, that trust factor with these guys um, where they're like, all right, he's got my best interest. And then, you know, again, it's uh, 
understanding who they are and what where they want to go. And if if that that mirrors what the team is looking for, that that's always a great thing. A lot of times it's not, right? Like everybody wants to be the man and yeah. team sport, it gets very difficult. So uh, trying to balance that out in the NBA is always a unique proposition. You know, it's like the the athletes that you work with make a lot more money than you if you're the head coach. Um, you know, especially assistant coaches, um, they're a lot of times playing at a higher level than you ever played at. And so trying to figure that out, it's unlike anything else in the professional world that you're mm. dealing with. It's, it's like district managers aren't making way less than their sales associates. Otherwise it's, you know, it's like, what, what's the point of the district manager kind of thing, yeah. right? So it's, yeah. it's a different dynamic. So I think it has to be a semblance of like, I can, I can mess with this guy because he's always prepared, you know, he's watching game film. You know, a lot of times these guys, they watch their own games. They, they have a hard time watching other people, you know, so I'm responsible for watching five games ahead of the opponent that we're playing against. And I can give them the nuances of like, this might be a good uh, time to attack these guys here. You know, uh, look at these two or three clips. Well, the last time we played them, you, you know, you were able to get a few post-ups this way. And so it's stuff that you forget about over the course of time because you're playing so many games that, you know, you become their eyes and ears. So I think it's a lot of it is just, you know, being more prepared, you know, building that trust factor through the work that you're putting in with them. And then eventually you can start to give them that truth, you know, at the end of the day, without it, you know, being uh, the truth that they're not going to listen to or mm. truth that stinks too much. Right. And I think my job is to hold the players accountable, but also be positive at the same time, which is something that people usually separate. You know, I would say like positivity and accountability, don't, they don't have to be two separate entities. Um, you can be positive with guys and still hold them accountable. And mm. a lot of times, uh, you know, you see this in the sports world that they, the guy's holding people accountable. He's a hard ass, this, that, and a third. If a guy's positive, he's a player's coach, you know, maybe he's soft on the players. He lets them kind of run things. And I think it's, it's about finding that balance. Mm. That's well said, man. Um, appreciate it. I appreciate you doing this, buddy. Yeah, no, it's um, great. On the road. I know that's not easy. Busy dude. Um, is there anything that you could shout out, you want to shout out, any like social media things or businesses or whatever you want to shout out? Go ahead. No, I appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, definitely uh, check out uh, Coach Jay Hernandez on Instagram. You know, I'll, I'll be on there, post different things from time to time. And uh, rep your work is uh, something that me and my wife put together. It's all positive um stories of people who had their breakthrough moments um in life you know and in, in, in work and so we've been doing stuff there just uh trying to promote positivity so eventually that'll be a book with with guys like yourself and others that we can kind of put into a tell your tale kind of thing of like that moment that you broke through that people might not realize the backstory behind it mm. you know and um you know and then kind of go from there and there's so many cool stories of people in the music industry and business uh, sports, especially, um, you know, that, that can tell their story of like how they got to where they were and that breakthrough moment of, you know, you know, that, that moment that, that you came in and lost all that weight in the UFC and took that time short notice fight and won, oh, yeah. you yeah. know, those, those are the kind of things that, you know, over the course of time, like people don't realize what, what it took and they, they, they see the finished product. Right. But, um, and, and it could have been before that, it could have been a moment in college that, you know, change your whole outlook on life. Right. And and so, you know, we want to be able to get to the nuts and bolts of that, you know, with people over the course of time. So uh, yeah, definitely check those things out. I love it, man. You're the best Long Island yeah, man, legend. Everyone loves you. Keep crushing it. You're an inspiration. Thank you, man. You too. All right. That was awesome. I hope you guys enjoyed it. My favorite part was just, you know, listening to his story from growing up on Long Island, you know, finding out that his dad was a professional basketball player 
and how that kind of shaped him into who he is. Um, I love to hear how he just worked hard, you know, put his head down, started a company on Long Island, made basketball players that much better to where his name started, you know, really growing. And uh, next to a note, the NBA wanted him, you know, and uh, he made some big sacrifices moving away from his family to start working with the NBA. And uh, as you know, with all big corporations, it's very risky, you know, not the greatest job security. So he took some big risks and it, and it paid off great. And now he's with the Charlotte Hornets and uh, they're having a great season. Um, he is a motivational and inspirational guy to be around. And I was excited to have him on the show. Remember, if you want to hear more conversations like this one I just had with Jay Hernandez, all you have to do is click that follow button on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening. And if you didn't know, every podcast is also available on my YouTube channel. So get over there and subscribe now. I'll be back next week with another great guest. But until then, I'm Chris Wyman, and this is Won't Back Down. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.